Destination Medicine is a collaborative initiative of regional training hubs. With first-hand lessons learned from those who have gone before, this podcast is designed to assist and inspire anyone interested in pursuing a medical career in rural and regional Australia. Welcome to Destination Medicine. I'm Peter Letts. A respected teacher and consultant physician, Professor Tara McKenzie is an important figure in the rural health ecosystem. Professor McKenzie teaches hundreds of medical students across much of New South Wales, as well as having spent almost two decades as a consultant respiratory physician in the regional centre of Wagga. In this episode, she shares her journey to becoming a doctor, the diverse and rewarding aspects of respiratory medicine, and her profound love for the Wagga community. Professor McKenzie starts by describing her current role, as well as how she came to become a doctor. So I actually have two current roles in Wagga. One of them is as the Associate Dean of Rural Health for the University of New South Wales. And that role allows me to look after over 300 medical students across five major campuses in Port Macquarie, Coffs Harbour, Wagga, Albury and Griffith. My other role is as a consultant respiratory physician in Wagga, and I've been in that role for about 17 years. When was it that you decided that you wanted to study medicine? I was actually a young child, apparently, when I said that I wanted to study medicine. I'm the first doctor in our family, so I actually didn't have any role models. I come from a family of teachers, so I think my education background in medicine is well seen. But I apparently, when I was younger, I said I always wanted to be a doctor, and so here I am. And you chose respiratory medicine out of all the specialties. Why did you become interested in that in particular? So I think respiratory medicine for me held a few key benefits. The first was that you have a lot of patients with chronic respiratory diseases and the advantage and the rewarding part of that to me is you get to know your patients over a long period of time. So I have patients who've been with me for the whole 17 years that I've been in Wagga and it's really nice to get to know them and their families. You also have patients who may have acute problems like pneumonia or something like that where you can look after them in hospital and then they fully recover. So it gives you the nice mix of having the chronic respiratory diseases as well as the acute diseases. And when I sat my physician exams in 2001, there was literally 10 days between when we knew we'd passed and when we had to put our applications in the system. And my problem was I loved everything. So every rotation that I had done as a registrar, I really, really enjoyed. And so I'd narrowed it down to four things and in the end chose respiratory, had some very sound advice from a mentor at the time who said, what you choose to do next year doesn't have to be what you do for the rest of your life. And I think that's something that that I'd highlight for colleagues coming through now that there's a lot of pressure in medicine often to get where you need to go very quickly and you must know exactly what you want to do before you even start. And I think that I'm living proof that you don't have to. You need to make sensible decisions, but the hard decisions are when it's between two good options or two right options rather than a right and a wrong. And so I think just remembering we are lucky in what we do that we do have so many options and that what you do choose at the time will be the right decision, but just remember it doesn't have to be what you do forever. 
And I think the other thing that really drew me to respiratory medicine is when I looked at my training, all of my amazing teachers or the majority of them had happened to be respiratory physicians. And so I knew it was a career where I could combine medical education, which is one of my other favourite areas with the clinical medicine. What were the other options that you were considering, the three other options? So the other options I was considering was medical oncology, so looking after people with cancer, haematology, so looking after people with blood disorders, including some blood cancers, and infectious diseases. And I guess in respiratory, that was another thing that brought me to it because you look after a lot of people with infection, so that brought in some infectious diseases. You look after a lot of people with cancer, so that brought in the medical oncology. So really, while I chose respiratory, I still do a lot of oncology and infectious diseases in my everyday everyday practice. So I sort of got three out of the four, so to speak. Yeah, you did. You did. Tell me, what impact did your choice to go rural have on your pathway to the academic role that you have? So I think the very best thing I ever did in my career was not necessarily choosing respiratory, it was choosing to go rural. I'm a city girl, and so my first exposure to the rural setting was actually as a medical student. Back before we had rural clinical schools, so they didn't exist when I went through university at UNSW, but I had a four-week rotation to Griffith, which of course is in my region now in Wagga, and absolutely fell in love with the region, but fell in love with the patients, the community atmosphere, the fact that everybody was so welcoming. And then in my training at St George as a registrar, I had the opportunity to come back to Wagga, and that was my first introduction to Wagga in 2000 as a medical registrar, and spent three months in Wagga and again fell in love with Wagga, came back in 2001 for another three months. And then by that point, even though I hadn't finalised on respiratory, I had finalised pretty early I wanted to be a rural and regional physician because I really loved the lifestyle. So I actually did a year in 2004. I was the first rural fellow in a specialist training program in Wagga for 12 months because I knew I liked it for three months. I had to know that I'd like it for 12 months. And that only really cemented what I wanted to do. So I then went back to Royal Prince Alfred to be the inaugural network director of physician education. So that was a, a position that was unique at the time to really broaden and build my medical education um, path. And then I moved back to Wagga and I've been here ever since. And I think answering your question around how's that influenced my career, I think I think I'm living proof that going rurally categorically does not limit your career options. If anything, I find it broadens them. And I've, it's broadened my career options, not just in the clinical side of medicine, but certainly in the medical education side of medicine. And you can be a senior academic with a group of eight university, like I am here, and not have to be sitting in Macquarie Street or Pitt Street in the middle of Sydney to be able to fulfil those roles. That's outstanding. Tell me, what is it about the lifestyle that you love so much and that attracted you to Wagga and that's kept you there all this time? So the biggest attraction to Wagga for me is two things. It's my colleagues and it's my patients. And I'd actually say the patients are the most important part for me. I count it as one of the biggest privileges and honours to be able to look after the sort of people I can in Wagga. They are down-to-earth people who very much value their health care They are very welcoming to any health professionals who come to town and they certainly make you part of a community. So in many other places, including my metropolitan work, it was fairly easy to become part of a medical community. 
but not so easy to become part of a community. Whereas in Wagga, I absolutely from day one have been part of the community as a whole. And I think that is the thing that's really kept me here. The other thing has been my colleagues and my colleagues as a group are amazing individuals. We all are like-minded in terms of why we're here. And I think that really makes a big difference. And so you're really working with a group of friends and colleagues not just colleagues. And I think the last thing I'd say is that the clinical medicine itself is actually fascinating. Breadth of what you see, depth of what you see. And certainly um, one of my professors when I first came to Wagga, who was one of my mentors, said in 12 months in Wagga, I've probably seen what he saw in 15 years working at a major teaching hospital in Sydney. And I think that's true because you do see people, farmers don't come to the doctor unless they really need to be there. And so you tend to be able to have the privilege of looking after some amazing people, but also being able to help them. Wow. And what about from a lifestyle perspective, being in a rural setting? So I think, I mean, I know everybody says it when it comes to lifestyle, but sitting in the traffic and lack thereof is actually a big part of of rural life. And if I finish work, I know that 10 minutes later I can be home. And so that is a big lifestyle factor in terms of the amount of time you spend commuting. I think the other big lifestyle factor is that you have a lot of amazing areas in terms of food, wine, those sorts of things in our region, a lot of farm to table type restaurants that that are amazing. There's a lot of sporting opportunities in Wagga for people who wish to take them up. There's a very big defence force presence as well as um, university presence in Wagga. And so there's a lot of the the younger professionals um, in town from a lifestyle perspective. But pretty much anything you want to do, you can. When our junior doctors come, we give them a list of all of the different hobbies and lifestyle activities and all those sorts of things. And it never ceases to amaze me how long that list is. Anything from knitting to horse riding to kayaking to, you know, bushwalking, there's an amazing range of things people can do. And I think that's, you know, an important part of it. Yeah. I speak to a lot of medical students based in Wagga and other rural areas, and they just cannot say enough how wonderful the experience is. They just rave about it. So um, this obviously just mirrors all of that. It's wonderful. Sounds amazing. In Australia, what are the types of settings that respiratory medicine can be practised in? One of the advantages and wonderful aspects of respiratory medicine is the breadth of areas that you can work in. So when I look at some of my colleagues that I trained with, I have colleagues who work in major teaching hospitals in metropolitan settings, looking after people with one particular disease and really have one disease as their focus. I have other colleagues who are doing groundbreaking and world groundbreaking research in respiratory areas. I have some colleagues who are working in laboratories doing physiology and lung function testing. I have some colleagues who are branching out into more specialised areas. And I have colleagues who work in private practice. I have colleagues who work in public hospitals. And I have a lot of colleagues who work in regional and rural medicine. I think that is one of the absolute advantages that respiratory has the breadth and the need to be practised anywhere, but you can literally, even within respiratory medicine, do about 20 different things. And you can do a mix of all of those. So you don't have to do just one or the other. Myself, for example, I do a lot of clinical medicine, but I also do a lot of education around clinical medicine, whereas some of my colleagues here do a little bit of research in respiratory medicine in addition to their their clinical background. So again, being rural doesn't mean you have to just be a clinician. You can also be an educator, you can be a researcher, you can combine it all. Is there a piece of advice that you received during your training that has stuck with you? 
other than respiratory medicine doesn't mean you have to do it for the rest of your life. Is there anything else that stuck with you through the years? The key piece of advice is that it is all about the patient and not about the disease. And I think that whether you're going to be someone like myself who's face-to-face with patients or some of my colleagues who may not be face-to-face to patients but in a laboratory in some research, it is still all about the patient and not about the disease. And I think if you come with that ethos and the way you practice medicine, I think that that makes you the best doctor possible. You need to know your theory. You need to be able to apply your theory. You need to know your medical knowledge and your skills. But at the end of the day, it's about the patient, not about the disease that they may have. And I think, to me, that's the key thing to take away. Something my father taught me a long time ago when I was struggling with these decisions was that when we're choosing between something that's right or wrong, for example, to give an antibiotic or not to give an antibiotic for an infection, then that's easy. But if you're actually choosing between two options that are actually right, or sometimes three options that are actually right, that's when it becomes hard. But what you need to remember is that none of those decisions are wrong. So no matter what you choose of those three things, as hard as it might be to work out which one, it's hard because they're all right. And I think if you come at it with that perspective, it actually makes a decision a lot easier and a lot less stressful, particularly in an era where there is a lot of pressure on young doctors to sort of know what they want to do very early on. Yeah. You wear a lot of hats. You have a number of roles. What is your most rewarding role, do you think, and why? I wear a lot of hats and sometimes I forget how many hats I actually wear. But I think to me, the two things I love the most are my patients and my interactions with them, the fact I get to know them, I get to know their families, I genuinely think I make a difference in their lives. And I think as clinicians, you get the selfish pleasure of being able to see that benefit. And that's something I really love and I certainly never take for granted. And I think the second thing that I love about what I do is my students and my registrars, any of my training students or doctors and seeing their careers flourish. And I have colleagues now who are associate professors who were my students at one stage and being able to see their careers grow and not just careers in medicine, but to me personally, careers in medical education. When I started my medical education career, it wasn't a done thing. There weren't many of us at all. And it was certainly a career path that myself and a couple of other colleagues sort of paved the way I like to think for others. And I, what I love to see is, is my old students and registrars now becoming people who are actually leading the next generation in their medical education. Mm. When we talk about respiratory medicine, what in your mind are the particular challenges that come with that specialty, do you think? So I think the challenges for respiratory medicine are that you can't always fix, if I can use that word, or help every patient. I like to think we can make a difference to some extent, but I think one of the the challenges is that there are certainly diseases like emphysema, for example, where there's a lot of advances, but at the end of the day, you can't cure that disease. So I think there's medical challenges in terms of a lot of the chronic diseases. Obviously, COVID in the last few years has been a major challenge for all of the respiratory physicians, not just COVID itself, but balancing everything else that you still have to do for all of your patients, knowing that every single patient is a high-risk patient for COVID, and then balancing the COVID impact itself. So I think that's been an obvious challenge. I think there's also the challenge that 
you need to be able to balance your clinical work in that um, most respiratory physicians balance some acute work in the hospital, some more chronic work in the rooms or in clinics. And sort of getting that balance between the areas of clinical medicine you work in is a challenge. And I think the last thing I'd say is a challenge is in some of our research areas, we have some of the most amazing research minds I've ever seen in respiratory medicine, certainly not mine, but because I don't do research, but a lot of my colleagues. But when you go to look for funding, when you look at funding for people who have smoking-related lung diseases, like lung cancer, if I use that for an example, like COPD, sometimes the challenge can actually be in the community perspective of donating money or raising money for diseases that I believe can be misconstrued to be the patient's fault. And obviously it is never the patient's fault if they've smoked, um, you know, they have a disease, but it does, I think that is a challenge. And you certainly see a lot more money being given to breast cancer, to prostate cancer, to some of those other areas. But when you look at lung cancer, it's a different story. And as we know, 30% of people with lung cancer have never smoked in their lives. So there's a lot of misconceptions around that. And even if you have smoked, you don't deserve what you have. And so I think that's the other more, you know, philosophical challenge, I think, going forward is we've got the minds to do the research, but it's raising the money through appropriate channels to be able to fund it, I think, is the other big challenge. All that said, what kind of personal qualities do you think it takes to work in this particular specialty? I think to be a good respiratory physician or any physician, you need to have the patient at the centre of everything you do, as I've said. I think you need to be someone who likes to look at a breadth of areas, so not just one particular type of disease or one particular aspect of an organ, but actually the patient as a whole, because obviously lungs influence everything in the body. And so you need to actually be able to look at the patient as a whole, not just an organ. And that is different to some other specialties. I think you need to be somebody who loves people. And I think you need to be somebody who enjoys applying what you've learned to a practical aspect. A lot of my other colleagues do a lot of interventions. So a lot of respiratory physicians like to do procedures and so enjoying doing things with your hands and and being in that procedural side of it. But I think the beauty of respiratory is it is so broad that you can actually take the aptitudes and the skills you've got. And as long as the patient is at the centre of everything you do, it will work out in one of those areas of respiratory medicine. What advice would you give to a JMO considering a career in respiratory medicine? It's a great decision and I would highly encourage them doing it. I would advise them that it is something that they will genuinely love, I believe, for the rest of their life. I would also highlight to them the diversity within respiratory medicine so that they're not locking themselves into one particular area. And I'd also advise them that you can change your career throughout. So I've been a staff specialist in a major teaching hospital in Sydney, and I've also been a respiratory physician here in Wagga. So your career paths can change. And even what you do within those career paths can change. And so I would highlight to them that they're choosing an area that is very diverse with lots of opportunity and lots of growing opportunities as well. And I would highly encourage it. Okay, if we take a step back and look a bit more broadly, what advice would you give to a medical student who might be unsure of what career path to choose? 
In my experience, the vast majority, and I'd say 99% of them, it's because they love everything they've seen. So it's very rare for a medical student not to know what they want to do because they don't like anything. It's usually the opposite. They love everything that they've done. And so I would generally sit them down, and this is what I still do to this day with a piece of paper because I'm old-fashioned, and I get them to write down on one piece of paper the pros of the things that they think that they'd like and why, the cons of the thing that they like and why, and then work through all of those. And often you will find that there are some that have cons that they don't think they could live with, in which case we put those options to one side. They might have pros for something that they think are so important that that makes the decision a bit easier. And then once they've narrowed it down, I remind them of what my father told me, that there are three right decisions here and you can choose the one that you want to try. You don't have to do it for the rest of your life if it ends up not being what you like. And I think that generally that seems to have worked for the vast majority of my students, particularly those who just love every single rotation they do and they can't choose between them. How important is the role of mentorship, would you say? You alluded to a mentor earlier, but tell us about your mentors and how that helped guide you along your medical journey. So I think mentors in medicine and probably in anything but in medicine are crucial And I think that there are formal mentoring programs and they're important. And certainly at UNSW in our rural clinical school, we have those formal mentoring programs. But there's also the mentors whom you develop and meet as your career goes on. So I wasn't to know when I was a medical student that my mentors would be my mentors. And so and both of my mentors were in a time where it wasn't an official program and it was people who, you know, I got to know. So one of them, Professor Mark Brown, is a renal physician at St George who I got to know in my early days. And I think the key thing about mentorship is it's someone who needs to know you as a person not just as a doctor or a student, but actually as a person, know your personal attributes and perspectives. But it's also someone who has the only thing at the front is you, not a career, not a particular job. So for example, a mentor who wants you to write all their research so they can get published is not a mentor. A mentor is somebody who says, you know, well, what do you want in your career? And I mean, Professor Mark Brown is a great example. He's a renal physician. He won't mind me saying I was never going to be a nephrologist. But certainly he's the one who got me into medical education. He's the one who had a sentinel discussion with me when I was tossing up again at my stage in the career when I'd finished all my training and I was deciding would I do a PhD in research or would I do something in education, remembering this was a time where education was not a career that doctors took. And he's the one who said to me, well, why do you want to do a research PhD? And I said, well, because I want to teach. He said, well, what are you doing? Go and do a master's medical education and build your education career and the rest is history. So that's a really good example, I think, of someone who didn't ask me to be a nephrologist, didn't ask me to work at St George, didn't ask me to do anything that could have been perceived to be benefiting them. But the sole purpose was to actually help me in my career. And my second mentor, who's also a very special person, is Professor Ivan Young. So he's was the head of respiratory medicine at the time that I did my training and was a staff specialist at RPA. And again, very similar things. He was always there for me, able to guide my career. I still, to this day, any time I've taken on a new role, I'll have him for a cup of coffee and we have a chat and we decide you know, what we're going to do. And the mentors you make, and that's the other thing I'd say to the students, is the mentors that you make, you keep for life. I've been in Wagga for 17 years, but my two mentors are still in Sydney. And I know that I can pick up the phone to them at any time and have a chat about something. And I think 
I think that's the key role of a mentor is someone who genuinely cares about you, not just your career. And I think there is a difference. Absolutely. Finally, Tara, as we wrap up, can you call up some of the more memorable standout moments in your career that you'd like to share with us? One of the memorable moments in my career that's actually been very humbling, when I went to RPA for the first three years of my consultant practice, as I mentioned, I was the inaugural network director of physician training and I helped with an amazing team, developed the program at RPA and to this day, many aspects of that program are still in place. And so we had always had an award at the hospital for the best educator. So that was awarded to a doctor who was considered, voted on by the registrars, considered to be the best educator for them for that particular calendar year. And about, oh, it would it be about five years ago now, I'm getting old, but about five <laughs> years ago, they changed the name to be the Tara McKenzie Award because of what we'd been able to do. But to me, every day is a standout moment. And I mean that sincerely, be it a student who's, you can see the light bulb go off and something's clicking for the first time when we have a session, be it a patient who I meet for the first time, be a patient that I see after I've been able to help them, be a patient that I help them with their end of life care. I think every day is a standout moment um, because when the patient is at the centre of everything you do, then that makes every day a standout moment. And I think every doctor will be busy. Every doctor will wear many hats. Every doctor will have a very busy job, but I don't see it as a job. I see it as a vocation. And I think that when you look at it that way, you're not waiting for the standout moment to happen in five or 10 years time or have one or two in your career. You're actually having it every day. Professor Tara McKenzie, Associate Dean of Rural Health at UNSW. This is Destination Medicine. Thanks for listening. Regional training hubs are supported by funding from the Australian Government under the Rural Health Multidisciplinary Training Program.